And so, the AOPC church camp, the theme again, reflections from Exodus, the first part of it, that we've been preaching through chapters 1 to 18. Enduring lessons of God, enduring lessons of God's people, and enduring lessons of God's redemption. And the, th the thought we want to explore today is our plans versus God's plans. Our purposes versus God's purposes. And you ask, is there a difference between our purposes and God's purposes? That's the next slide that comes on. Is there a difference between God's purposes and our purposes? Let me, explain, let me explore our plans. So more than 20 years ago, I went for our first sabbatical. And during the first sabbatical, I went to America. I went to Boston. And as part of being Boston, we heard that from Boston, you could take a cruise out and you could go whale watching. So how many of you have whale watch, live whale watching? And we said, okay, let's do that. It's one of our dreams to, to see things in, in the wild, in nature. So we stood in queue, we got the tickets, we paid the price, right? So we had the dream, we paid the price, we went out. It went out, I think, all the way, 30 miles, 40 miles out there. And the wind chill factor, it was a cold day, fell by 10, 15 degrees. Before we went, we had prepared ourselves. We had taken seasick tablets. We had taken all precautions. But guess what? As we went out there, 30, 40 kilometers out there, it got choppy. Finally, they spotted whales. But by the time we arrived at the spot where they spotted whales, and the person, right, the, the tour guide, was saying, we spot a whale on the left, and people were all rushed to the left. We now spot a whale on the right. And they all rushed to the right. But for Mona, myself, and our two young children at that time, we were rooted. You know why? Because we all became seasick. In the entire trip to and fro, three, four hours, right? We never saw a single whale. You guess what? Because all we were looking at was the bottom, the inside, of a garbage bin because we spent the entire time just throwing up, throwing up, throwing up. And so we had a wonderful plan. We paid the price for the plan, but it didn't turn out the way we planned. And as you look at that, as you look at that, we paid the price. We never saw a single will. We came back so sick. That's perhaps like a small picture of our dreams and our plans for our lives. Why? Because in our human dreams, in our human plans for that happy life, for that perfect life, for the possessions we want to have, for the positions we want to arrive at, for the people we want to share this life and find happiness with, there is usually a gulf, an unfillable gap between our original intention and the final reality, which is often staring on the inside of the darkness of life as it were, the trash of life. So the dream turns into a nightmare. That's what happens to many of our plans. And we live increasingly with quiet desperation. Quiet desperation hoping that as it goes on, it'll get better, but it doesn't get better. Generation after generation just lives with this dream, paid the price, but it's a nightmare when it turns up. What's the difference with God's plans? God's redemption plans is the fulfillment of God's creation plans. And so we've been seeing in the book of Exodus, Exodus reveals for us 
God's creation plan that carried on with His redemption plans. Very simple. God only had a, one simple dream, one simple wish, one simple demand and desire. And what was that? God is determined to be known by us. Men and women made in His image. God is determined to be worshipped by us. God is determined to be listened to. God is determined to be trusted because He's God, He's Creator, He's Ruler, and He deserves this. But from Genesis chapter 3 onwards, as we listen to the serpent, instead of thus says God, we listen to thus say the serpent, that no, God is withholding something from you. He's withholding the best thing from you. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God could be insecure, or God could have indeed not the best intentions for you, Though it declares in chapter 1, Genesis 1.31, God saw all that it made, it was very good. But Satan comes along and says, no, it's not very good. When you partake of this tree of good and knowledge, you, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. From that moment on, we experience this personally and collectively. We are all determined not to know God. So Romans 1 will say, that though we knew Him from creation and our conscience, we suppressed the truth of God. We neither give thanks to Him nor glorified Him. So that's the story. And Exodus throws it up. The big word there is when God first meets Moses, Moses doesn't know who this God is. And then he's supposed to go and convince Israel to know this God. Israel doesn't know who this God. And then he's supposed to go and convince Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the most powerful empire at that time, to let go a bunch of slaves who had no right, no power. And Pharaoh says, I do not know your God. The God of slaves, the God of losers, must be a loser God. So right throughout is this tension, a God who is determined to be known, and us who are determined not to know Him. And so the responsive reading that was read for us, our Bible reading today, the summary of that in chapter 6 is very important because this is what God reveals of Himself. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Remember the song that Colin Buchanan sang for us? This is Father Abraham. This is, this, this is the promise God made. I made a covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as the God Almighty. And then verse 4, I also established my covenant to give them a land. I heard their groaning. And when I heard their groaning, I wasn't just responding to a human need. I, was just, I wasn't just responding to end their suffering. It was suffering for 430 years. It was slavery for 430 years. I'm not just acting to destroy an enemy against me, Pharaoh and human empires. I'm actually remembering my covenant. If God hadn't made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, which he was now carrying on to fulfil, through Moses and the people, this wouldn't have happened. Chapter 6, verse 6, I'm the Lord. I will deliver you from slavery. He goes on. Chapter 6, verse 7, I will take you to be, notice now, the sense of ownership, my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I'm the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Moses thus spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because, because of their pain, their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now, a lot of things for us to explain here. 
Check a look at chapter 6, verse 7. God has a simple wish, dream, demand, desire. Very simply to be known and I'm your God and you're my, my people. You would hear this in chapter 4, verse 22. In chapter 4, verse 22, if your Bible's open with you, if not, listen carefully. If your Bible's open with you, you can come and listen with me to God's Word. Read with me. Chapter 4, verse 22. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. And what is it that Moses is to say to Pharaoh about his people? Because he's going to ask Pharaoh to let his people go. Say to Pharaoh, Israel is mine. Can you read that carefully? Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. The language here is all about God's hesed, the Hebrew word, H-E-S-E-D. God's covenant love, sometimes translated as mercy. And God's covenant love has, has chosen Israel as the apple of his eye, son. And so what is this about? God redeems his son from wrongful slavery to a human ruler. Pharaoh, and now he redeems his rightful son to a rightful knowing of him, the rightful worship of him. So in one of my mission trips to Philippines, I met this couple, and the kidnapping of rich Chinese Filipino, their kids, is quite a common phenomenon. And the family that hosted me, invited me to preach at their church at the conference, was one of the families who one day, their son got kidnapped. He was just stopped, right? Got out of the car, got kidnapped. And for all that time, they were in panic. Have they lost the son? But by God's grace, they managed to get him back. But as a result of that terrifying kidnapping, where the son belonged to the wrongful parents, the wrongful ruler, they decided they would migrate. They don't want to live with this. Losing their legitimate, natural, biological son. God called Israel his son. And the whole story of the Bible is that he will redeem what rightly belongs to him. And began with one nation, it will go to all nations. We rightly belong to God because he created us. But Satan now is the illegitimate ruler of the world. And he rules the world through the force pharaohs and the false empires, painting to us a wonderful dream, paying the price for that dream, but it turns out to be a nightmare. And so here is the language. I'm the Lord, and you are my people. And all I want to be is to be your God. Is that so hard? And all I want you to be is to be my people. Is that so hard? And I'm willing to pay the highest price for you as we will see it unfold all the way from Abraham to the New Testament in the Lord Jesus. So, first lesson to learn, God's redemption plan is all God all the way. And can we add in? God's redemption plan is all about God all the way. How do we know it's all God all the way? Listen to the key passages in this story up to this point. In chapter 13, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was a shorter path. 
He led them on the longer path. How, how, how many of you like it, right? That if you have a shorter path to somewhere, the faster train to somewhere, the faster bus to somewhere, you take the longer path. You must be retired. We've got too much time on your hands. In, for busy people like us, anywhere that you live, from New York to Tokyo to Shanghai to Singapore, we want to get to our route, our destination as soon as possible and achieve our goals as soon as possible. If not, if not yesterday, then today. But God led them on a longer track. God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. But what was it I missed? If they went that way by the Philistines, the people will meet a war and these slaves would not be ready for this war. And the lesson was, the first lesson, this is the battle God will fight for them. In chapter 14, it says, God will fight for them. They just have to watch God do it. And so as we trace back their short history with God, their national experience with God, what do we see? It was God, if God had not led them by the wilderness, if God did not overcome their disappointment at Marah, we, we ran short of water. Moses, did you lead us here to die? And then Moses threw in the log and the water turned from bitter to sweet. If God didn't feed their hunger at the desert of sin, the wilderness of sin, if God did not quench their thirst at Rephidim, if God did not repulse, notice, in chapter 14, God fights the battle for them. But by the time in chapter 17, God fights the battles through them. He sends out Joshua and Joshua has to look for the instructions from Moses whose arms are held up by Aaron and her. Every time Moses' arms are up, they win. Every time Moses' arms are tired and go down, they lose. Is God all the way in the redemption plan? If God had not been with them all the way, Israel would have nothing to say to the world because she never would have been delivered from Egypt in the first place, let alone journey through the wilderness and then arrive at Mount Sinai to worship God and to be His holy people. So is that you? Do you believe that God's redemption plan is God all the way in your life? You turn left, you turn right, you take a step forward, you take a step backwards, nothing happens by chance. There are no wasted experiences and there is no wasted suffering. So the thirst at Marah, the hunger at the wilderness of sin, the thirst again at Rephidim, God was with them, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. No wasted experiences at no time did God ever abandon His people. We are never left to ourselves. Do you believe that? And so we heard the testimony of joy the very first night, for some of you who are turning in. And we came to know her through our prison's ministry, reaching out to former drug addicts. And she got into this crime so early in her life. And God was totally absent as her life spun out of control. Not that she could control it. The gangsters came and knocked on her door and forced her into this. And then they introduced her to drugs to get her onto a lifetime of crime and dependence upon them and serving them. And she was on that route. But as she came to hear the gospel through the ministry that God has sent us out on, the prison ministry that Pastor Jeff leads so faithfully with his team in the mercy ministry, the prison's ministry, she can look back 
and know that nothing was wasted in her life. Nothing was wasted in her life. That's God. You turn left, you turn right. He was there. You just don't see it at this moment. We are never left to ourselves because you don't meet an absentee God. You don't meet an indifferent God. You meet a God who hears, who sees, who hears the groans of His people and He remembers His covenant and He comes to end their suffering and defeats the enemy that holds them down. So if that is true, a gospel truth in our life is, our witness would come from God wearing us down. Our witness will come from God stripping us bare from all self-sufficiency, all self-rescue. Our witness will come when you finally say, like joy, I can do nothing without God. I can do nothing. So we can dream, we can plan, we pay the price. But you know what? We got the lifestyle, but we lost the life. Is that you? You have a certain lifestyle, but you've got no life. You're existing, but you're not living. That's how we live. Our plans versus God's plans. You know, just to finish off that story of our Boston whale watching where we saw no whales. Right? Mona and I had planned. The kids were five and eight years old at that time. Our two children said, okay, if we do get seasick out there, right, um, I'll look after our son, dad will look after, and mum, you look after our daughter. But guess what? Mona and me, and Mona is pretty good with, with motion, but even that, she became sick. We were both so sick, we couldn't look after the two of them because all our heads was buried in the bin for all of that journey to and fro, right? We could only look after one. And a couple, two people, had to clean up our son. We had made wonderful plans. But if that trip taught, me, taught us anything, all our wonderful plans, even the sincerest plans to look after our children, may go haywire. When are you going to come to that humble position that witness comes from God wearing us down? God stripping us bare of every self-sufficiency. And in Joy's testimony, she said this, I really knelt down and prayed. I surrendered. And when I did that, is it me who can say such things that God, God loves me so much, He sent His only Son? It can't be me. She barely finished school. She struggles with the English. She's uneducated. But you know, uneducated can people, all sorts of people, can be enlightened by the gospel, enlightened by God, enlightened by Jesus. I just want to ask you, when was the last time you came and really acknowledged this? That there's nothing within you that will make you right with God, nothing within you that will give you a charmed life. If God's redemption plan, the first lesson, it's all about God, all from God and all about God's glory. The second arm or second wing of God's redemption plan is all about faith and obedience. Faith expressed in obedience. For obedience is the truest experience of what it means to trust God. 
And I gave the illustration um, two, three weeks ago, where sometimes you play this game with young children, right? Two, three years old, three, four years old. You say to them as they stand at the edge of a sofa, they stand somewhere at the playground, say, you jump and daddy will catch you. It is faith in you that makes their obedience possible. The only reason they'll jump, they, they believe that you will catch them. Make sure you catch them. So faith makes obedience possible. Obedience is the truest expression of faith. And how did it work out? In chapter 14, verse 13, Moses said to the people, Fear not. Fear is the great enemy to faith. Fear is the great enemy to discipleship. You stand firm, you see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Can you read that verse one more time? This most real enemy, right? This looks real. They are after us and in front of us is the sea between a rock and a hard place, you call that. It's a sure ending. You go back, you get killed. You go forward, you get killed by the waters. And notice verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only have. You have only to be silent. So God teaches His people the lessons of faith and obedience. God's call to be silent. God's call to trust. God's call for us to not wriggle our way is not a call to do nothing, but a call to do the most important thing. God's call to be silent. God's call to be still. God's call to trust in Him is faith experienced in obedience. And so, yes, it's all of God, but it must also be all of His people. And how did it work out? He told them, for you to be spared this 10 plague, you got to find an unblemished lamb, as perfect as you can find it. <clears throat> you kill it, and then you splatter His blood on your doorpost. And when God comes to judge, He sees that blood, He will pass over. He will pass over. He will not kill the firstborn of Israel. He will kill the firstborn of Egypt, firstborn meal. So you kill the lamb. You have to splatter the blood. <clears throat> and Moses, what can I do? You got to go out there with the staff and trust that this staff, with this staff, you keep reminding God is with you and it is His presence and His power. And He tells Israel in chapter 16, there is no food here. There is no food here. You got to go out. And day by day, you got to collect this manna and this quail. You collect it and then on the, on the fifth day, you collect extra, extra for the Sabbath day that you do not do any work. And then when you fight battles, you look at Moses' arms, Moses' hands, he goes up, you win, you go, goes down, you lose. So the call to be silent is not a call to do nothing, but a call to do the most important thing, faith expressed in obedience. And obedience is God told you to do it this way, you do it this way. You're now going to defeat this enemy, see God battle for you. The battle belongs to the Lord. Then in chapter 17, now see how God battles through you, through, Joseph, through Joshua, through Moses, through Aaron, through her who hold up his hands. We quoted Jane who has taken the world by storm as she appeared on America Got Talent. And she wrote a blog 
God is on the bathroom floor. She suffers three kinds of cancer. Her husband said she, he no longer loved her. She went into a tailspin. And this is just a quotation. Even on days when I'm not sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon and I try to listen to God. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is there. God is there with me when I'm vomiting away, I'm throwing up, I'm so weak, I rest my head from all that trauma on the toilet bowl. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. If you can't see Him, look lower. God is there at the bathroom floor. Israel experienced this every turn. No wasted experiences. No such thing as meaningless suffering. And so, lessons of faith and obedience. We must never shortcut God. And we must never undercut people. This will be enshrined in the Ten Commandments. No matter how bad your circumstances look, no matter how good the other ites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the, all, the, all the ites, beginning with the Egyptians, no matter how great their idols look, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You do not make an image, an idol of this God. You will trust this God with all your heart and mind and soul. And then from commandment number six, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, you must never undercut your neighbour. You do not give false testimony. You do not bail out on a bad marriage. You do not dishonour your parents. And you do not envy anything against your neighbour. You never shortcut God by making idols for your self-rescue, for your self-identity, for your self-sufficiency, for your self-security. You never undercut people in life to get to your dream. It's too high a price to pay, my friends. You'll never become a spiritual sloth. Beware when you become spiritually lazy. And God was always telling His people, go further, go further. In the words of Jane, America got talent, right? Go lower, go deeper. And we got to learn to trust in God's future care today. Remember the 12 springs and the 70 palms around the corner? The 12 springs and the 70 palms were already there. Were they there for decades? Were they there for centuries in the desert? Oasis are there because God put them there. The rock, was it there for centuries? They just had to go a little bit further. And so you have, before we even experience our dangers, then our need to overcome the risks and the dangers of living in a fallen world, God has already prepared His solution. Do you believe that? You've got to trust in God's future care today. He's prepared His remedy. He's prepared His, His redemption. He's prepared along the way. Isn't that what we shared all the way through? So we listen to the testimonies of joy, and then we listen to the testimony of Scott share about his daughter. His daughter came down, was stricken with an untreatable cancer, stage four. And the only 12 centres around the world that any hope of retarding this, not curing this, and one of them was at Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania so happens to be the hometown of Anne's husband, Coleman. So happened God had already prepared that in advance. So it was for Israel in the wilderness, so it is for God's people. 
And did you hear the story correctly as we tried to tell this from Pastor Lap Yong to Sun Hong? That this whole thing began not because we planned it, we had a special heart in ARPC to go and reach out to guest workers. We were totally ignorant of them. How did it start? We had the celebration of hope. 200 world churches came together. So there was so much giving to that. And then there were some leftover funds and decided to give this leftover funds to start off something for guest workers. And this was before COVID-19. And then COVID-19 hit us. They started this in September the year before and then COVID-19 hit us in 2020. And all of a sudden, the needs, 40,000 of our guest workers got infected in the dorms. Then the help that is needed for their well-being, mentally, in every way, then we stepped in. Can you see? God had already provided the future care of them. They are here by God's design, not just by economic need, and we are here to meet that need, not because we are compassionate, we are kind. And then you go from the macro to the micro, and Sun Hong's honest sharing. I, I give, in one sense, didn't give two hoods about them. And then I got to know about their plight. And then God opened my eyes. And then God convicted my heart. Who can move you from ignorance to indifference to spiritual sight, to being burdened, to falling in love with them, to being convicted by them? Not something that just the church does, but now I do. Before we experience our dangers and our needs, God has already prepared His solution. The dangers and needs to our guest workers was already there. And God was raising us up all from the way from the macro event of the celebration of hope to stirring our hearts to Pastor Lak Yong and Sun Hong and a hundred plus of us stepping out, taking your leave, spending your birthdays. Only God can do that. And so the big picture of Exodus Four lakes, departure from Egypt, chapters 1 to 15, journey to Sinai, chapters 16 to 18, and then second part of the year, we invite you to come along and join us as we begin this in September all the way to November. The giving of the Lord at Sinai, the worship of God. But the picture is, it's all of God all the way. It's all of faith and obedience. And part of that faith and obedience, part of the faith and obedience is learning to trust God's future providence even today. So how did the New Testament speak about this? The New Testament speaks about not us following Moses, but us following the second Moses on the final exodus, not rescuing us from a human opponent to God, but the ultimate opponent to God, Satan, defeating his works of lying, lying to us, forgiving us of our sin, the Lord Jesus, by His death on the cross. So Hebrews 13 has a very strange verse, some strange verses here. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest's sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the camp in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, we go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. A little bit of background is very important. 
Why is this important to understand? Because we are speaking about the final Moses, bringing the final revelation from God, the final redemption. And here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips to acknowledge His name. And verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what is this about the camp and outside the camp? It's about the most precious festival, the Day of Atonement, where they will repent as Israel. And the camp is holy. Outside the camp is where you bring the animals that have been sacrificed, you bring their bodies, you bring their carcasses, and you burn them outside the camp. If anyone goes outside the camp, as in touch with the carcasses, you're considered unclean, and you had to go through ritual cleansing to go back to the camp of the holy people of God meeting the holy God. But you know what the writer says? The writer says here, Jesus, the body of Jesus, he died outside the camp. Calvary is outside Jerusalem, outside the holy place. And so Jesus, the unclean, is what makes the people clean. And for the Jews, what makes the people clean is the temple, the priest, the sacrificial system, everything within the camp. This doesn't look like God's plan at all. It doesn't look like God's plan because God's plan doesn't include... This rabbi who dies on the cross like a lamb led to the slaughter, he can't even save himself, let alone save Israel, let alone save the world through Israel. God's plan, God's redemption plan, experience in Israel's life, as we learn in Exodus, will always have this. He will pile up circumstance upon circumstance to make him look like he is not God, He's totally out of control. And actually, he's not God, and perhaps he's got evil plans for us. This can't be the Messiah. A man dying on the cross? Listen to the continuity of the plan. Blood of animals splattered on the door, spat Israel. The blood of Jesus on us spares us God's wrath. And it all happens outside, which is telling Israel that time, as Hebrews is written, you've got to leave all those previous securities. You've got to leave all those previous plans to be right with God. And now come to this plan, which is a total reversal. That was temporary. And God is asking you to leave that behind and come to His true security in Jesus. So we taught you again and again. False evidence appearing real? Yes. Circumstance upon circumstance in Jesus' life, He cannot be from God. He cannot be about God. He cannot be for God. There's nothing of God about Him as He faces the cross. He's the ultimate, serv ultimate servant of God. So false evidence appearing real about Jesus. And the challenge to us is immaturity is you looking at your circumstances and the ultimate circumstances, you look at the cross, this cannot be God's way to save the world. 
but maturity, spiritual enlightenment and redemption is listening to, thus says the Lord. Hebrews 1 begins with, in the past, God spoke to us in many and various ways. He spoke to us through the prophets. But in the last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. And the ultimate message of God to us is, look at the cross. Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. When you look to Jesus, you're not running away from reality. The reality is not the temple. The reality is not the human priest. The reality is not the former sacrificial system. You are running to Jesus, the new reality of God. When you run to Him, you take part in God's redemption plan. I quote for you again what Joy said. I really knelt down and prayed. I surrender. You've been there and done that. I mean truly go to the foot of the cross and the throne of the Lamb. The danger is you've been there and done that, right? You think it was in the past, you must keep doing that day by day. Are you still there and doing that and trusting God as, hey, the wonderful song by Colin Buchanan. What was that wonderful song? With Nudge the Puppet. So you can turn to Jesus. And when can you turn to Jesus? I wrote it all down. You can turn to Jesus when you're laughing. You can turn to Jesus when you're crying. You can turn to Jesus when you're bored. You turn to Jesus when you're cranky. You turn to Jesus when you're sleepy. You turn to Jesus when you're noisy. That's what it means. He's the Lord of your moments. And how might it work out? If we listen to this testimony by our sister Amelia, who was also reached by God's ministry, His mercy ministry in all of ARPC, because every ministry is of God's mercy. A poor and broken family. My parents divorced when I was, was 10 years old. I was raised up by my mother's severe identity. My age, at the age of 16, I started working with the F&B. At the age of 17, I started to work with a social escort to support my family and myself. I am envious of the expensive and beautiful clothes and bags the other social escort girls had. So I worked harder. I had my first part of hard drugs. First part of ganja at the age of 16 I started to I started on to hard drugs at the age of seven, 19. That was the beginning of my many incarnation, incarnation in the DRC. I was, I had known Jesus for many years, but I backslided. And my change for the better was I took Jesus seriously. Now I am facing terminal cancer. I am not afraid because I have Jesus. 
I'm ashamed of my salvation. Parents divorced at nine. Sixteen started in the food and beverage industry. Seventeen started as a social escort. Started to get envious about others. Went into ganja, then hard drugs. Saw the dream people had, paid the price, turned out to be a nightmare. That's our plan. It may not come out in such tragic ways for you, but it's still a plan that goes nowhere. But she's not ashamed of Jesus. She's assured of salvation. That's what it means. And this is not arm's length knowing. This is not theoretical knowing. This is you and me coming, been there, done that, still doing this and still there, thanking Jesus every moment. So Father, Father Abraham, as Colin played that out, our whole life, arms, legs, hands, feet, everything, we can trust Jesus and turn to Him crying or sleeping, cranky or not. That's the life. That's the life we're inviting you to. And so we're going to sing this closing song outside the camp, outside the clan, outside the camp. The unclean has now invited us. And we go there to do two things, as Hebrews 13 tells us. We go to offer our praise. And so here's Amelia praising God, praising God. Not thus say my circumstances in the past, not thus say my circumstances as I suffer terminal cancer. And then we go out and do good works. The good work of sharing the gospel, which is what Sun Hong did. From being ignorant to indifferent to sharing it. So God has given us a great opportunity at AOPC at Tenga. Everything's against the odds. It's always going to look that way. Not thus says the circumstances. Thus says our Lord to go forth and keep preaching Christ who died outside the camp so that we can get inside the kingdom.